Hi, my name's Georgina Cook, and this is the Vision of Sound podcast. Conversations at the crossroads where music and art meet. I'm a photographer, artist, and passionate music lover whose camera has portrayed everything from punk gigs to Glastonbury, sweaty drum and bass raves, and the dark dance floors of early dubstep. Vision of Sound is my chance to celebrate other creative people making work about or inspired by music. I'm really excited to be chatting to photographers and artists, publishers, designers and filmmakers about their perspectives of the sounds they love. In this episode, we chat to photographer and artist Shauna Gavin. Shauna's body of work encompasses photos of underground music, community and culture, and her intricate collages of imaginary worlds. Her recent book, Spiraled, presents Shauna's photos of Spiral Tribe, a nomadic arts community and sound system most active in the 90s. Juxtaposed with diary entries written by Shauna as they travelled through Europe, Spiraled is both a record of a seminal moment in the three-party scene and an emotive glimpse at Shauna's unique teenage life. Some of Shauna's psychedelic collages can be found at London Somerset House until 13th of September 2020 as part of Mushrooms, the art, design and future of fungi. We hear from her about how her collage work and photography are connected. Some of the other things we talk about include what can be learnt from low-resource arts communities. Those moments of being on the road where you kind of realise that you don't really need things, you don't need all your material objects around you. It's like I'd have a small bag a few things for the whole summer. And why it's often good to listen to your mum. Moments when I was like, I just want to burn all of this. I don't want to remember these things. But I was very lucky that my mum actually was always encouraging. She's like, no, you must keep them. At some point you're going to use these. Just want to say that your work, honestly, I was nearly in tears earlier. Really? Oh. <laughs> I've been trying to kind of like figure out why it's sort of like hit me so hard like it just I just felt really emotional I think it's reading the kind of like innocence of youth and the desire for freedom and you know the the very kind of natural human urge to be with people and dance together yeah and coming up against kind of forces that try to prevent that yeah it's very emotive oh well I'm glad it made you feel things by looking at it that's um part of the, the point it's been great that a lot of people um, that have appeared in the book have been contacting me and they've all really, you know, enjoyed the reading through the stories. It's brought back a lot of memories and emotions and, and so much that people, you know, so many memories that have been completely forgotten because it's so long ago. Some of this documentation is from like over 20 years ago. You have the, the photos or these journals, these diary entries that I had. Um, I would have forgotten so much of it. So I'm so grateful that I was documenting it. I, I still feel now that I didn't do enough. It's brought back so many um, kind of blurry stages of, of being in that scene and thinking, oh God, why didn't I have my camera then? And oh God, I wish I had photos of that. Or thinking there were times when, you know, I lost some rolls of film. I remember there was a whole summer where on the way back to the UK, my bag was in the back of the lift that I was in, in this truck. But it was almost like tarpaulin sides on the back of the truck. It wasn't like fully built so there was one point where we realized when we stopped somewhere like in France that some of the bags had fallen out oh including one of my bags with like all the rolls of film from the summer oh, man. thinking about that now I'm just like damn like there would have been some you know some great photos there but anyway gotta be happy with what I have 
so I was wondering if you would be able to describe for people that don't know anything about Spiral Tribe what what Spiral Tribe is and when did you get involved and how did you get involved? Spiral Tribe were a sound system and arts collective from London. They sort of came together in the early 1990s. Acid House in this country started like, you know, it's like late 80s. Spiral Tribe, they, when they came along, they were kind of rebelling against a lot of the sort of um, more commercial club culture that was starting to happen in this country, from, you know, stemming from Acid House. There was a lot of these organised raves that were being put on, which were, you know, the tickets were like really overpriced and, you know, the drinks you'd have to buy at the bar. And so they were kind of like rebelling against that. And they were all about free events, like non-commercially driven, donation only policy on the door. So yeah, so they started putting on squatted parties and raves in London and then out in the countryside. They became very well known because one of the sound systems playing at Castle Morton, which is in the British countryside in 1992. Um, it's sort of become quite an iconic event. Back then it was all word of mouth, you know, before the days of mobile phones or smartphones. And it was all done like word of mouth. It started off, there was like a small festival that it was meant to be. And then all these other sound systems joined in and it turned into this huge rave, which had maybe 30 to 50,000 people turned up. So Spiral Tribe, one of the last sound systems to be playing music when the authorities arrived. So they kind of got scapegoated. Um, and then there was like a big court case in which dra- got dragged out for like two years. And then after being a bit fed up with the persecution and the way they were treated, um, they decided to leave, leave the UK and go out to France and then carry on putting parties across there in France and all across Europe. still going on. I came into the scene around 1993, so I missed Castle Morton. I was like the year after. But I was a baby. I was really young. I was like 15. So I was starting to attend a lot of parties in London. I met them. I met all the other sound systems and party organisers because I basically just, it became my life. I would go every single weekend. And then when they left and went to France, those other sound systems kind of followed. And then it turned into this community of like European sound systems and travelers that were basically nomadically travel around Europe, um, putting on free raves and parties all across Europe. So I would spend periods of time, I was still trying to do an art degree. You reference that in, in, in the book as well, don't you? Yeah, obviously when I was like 15, I was still living at home with my family. I would disappear on weekends 
I would go to these parties and maybe come back three days later. My mum would have, you know, no idea where I was. But then we had a good relationship. So it got to the point where I would, I explained what I was doing and she just had to have faith in me and trust me that I was being careful and looking after myself. But yeah, it's like all my friends out of school, all living in squats and going to these parties. And so I kind of felt like I had a bit of a double life. I didn't really feel like I connected to the people at school. Um, They would just felt so young to me. So where was I? Yeah, so I started attending these parties, but then then when I got to a bit older and I was doing my art degree um, at Camberwell, I was doing photography as an elective. So I was doing a drawing degree, but I chose photography. That's when I kind of got a proper like film camera and started playing around with that. There wasn't so much in the UK. I managed to capture a few of the parties in the UK before I went out to Europe, but it was more when I was traveling around Europe and I'd have a proper camera and I really wanted to sort of capture it all. Yeah, so I would basically be trying to finish off my degree and then I would spend entire like some holidays, basically. I'd go out to Europe for like two months and travel around with my friends in their mobile homes and we'd just be with the sound systems going from, basically from party to party, never ending. Wow. Um, so yeah, I hope that kind of explains and summarises a little bit. There's a lot to it, isn't there? I mean, for me, the main, the main thing was, at the core of it was the sense of community. Sure. These people, when I was spending these, this time traveling with them, they were like my, they were like my family. You know, they were looking out for me when I was away from my family. But um, you know, we were really close, and I would survive somehow with like no money. I'd have nothing. I just lived off air. <laughs> Community living, where we were all kind of everyone was like looking out for each other. In some ways, for me, it was more about the community and that experience than than necessarily the music. I think. Mm. Yeah, I get that from your book as well. Yeah, I mean, there was obviously the, in the beginning, it was all very much hard techno and that's kind of, you know, the the early parties, that's really what you hear. But then I would always sort of gravitate more to like the sound systems that were playing more like, especially later on, there'd be sound systems playing more like hip hop and dancehall and, you know, a bit of cheese and stuff that was having more like vocals and melodic stuff. And actually that's really kind of what I was more into. Right. Yeah, so... It was basically 1993 till 2003. So it was like a full decade of my life. So maybe around 2000, in the beginning, the 2000s, I started to go more and more to like UK hip hop events. There was a bit of a crossover. And then actually that's kind of, that was the kind of direction that I kind of went into when I sort of moved away from the, the free party scene. Bring it back, that bring it, bring it back, that bring it, bring it back, 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 that when I show you how I make it hot, little chickens flop, but nigga bootocks make niggas act unorthodox. Not trying to get it, it please. Half of y'all got some sort of disease. Got an STD before your GED. Shaking what your mama gave you back, breaking. In one week, got more strokes on your ass than cash than players be making. Smell like bacon in the room when you finish. Toxins in the air, Mrs. Laboratory chemist. Mixing poisons in your loins and letting boys in like they toys. You bent over, pick up my words like fully clovers. X-Files force under your scully like Agent Mulder. Terry Colder, name written in government folders. Golden mind swollen, multi-dimensional zoning on the cosmic level, boning, making stars for the zodiac. At 10 years old, known in my hood as a brainiac. Bring it back, yo, bring it back. 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 B
so the UK hip hop events are presumably were in the UK. Do you feel like at that point there was a need for you to be back home and be a little bit more settled? Yeah, I mean, I moved away from that scene after the sort of the tragic loss of a friend. That's kind of what was like the end for me. I think towards those last few years of being in that in that scene, I guess there was a little bit more drug taking and there was some negative things associated with that, which I felt kind of took over the scene a little bit. So with, when I started going to the UK hip hop nights, it was really about the music and it was lighter and it was, and yeah, and I guess I was trying to live a more grounded life and staying put and being just in London. So that's kind of how, you know, I evolved into that, that scene. And did you photograph that scene as well? A little bit. I used to go to the Scala to, um, there was a regular once a month hip hop night at the Scala. I'm trying to remember what the name was and, and all the sort of break dancing championship things. And then it, there used to be something called Deadbeat at um, Canberra Sands um, camp by the coast. It was like, in, well, like the Butlins holiday camp, basically. And they would do like a whole big weekender where you'd have like huge like hip hop acts like De La Soul and people. And so I'd go with a bunch of friends. So I did sort of still take photos back then. That's a, a whole other category there. But yeah, I did sort of still try and take photos of um, my mates and the people around me at that point. But for me, it was actually when... When like selfie culture took over sort of with Instagram and social media, when that became a thing, that's kind of when I stopped taking photos in that way, it kind of put me off. I can relate to that as well. More that when I was photographing the early dubstep scene and I used to do a bit of hip hop as well. Yeah. And drum and bass. There weren't many photographers around and it felt a little bit like I had a role and a reason to be there. And then with the advent of digital cameras and digital technology, suddenly there were lots of photographers, which was great because you get to meet more creative people and people doing something similar to you. But also that feeling of having a role and a responsibility wasn't so strong. Yeah. Like, oh, I can pass the baton on to this person or these other people now. Yeah. And once everyone had a camera in their phone as well. Yeah. Now everyone on a night out pretty much like we'll try and capture it and document it or even if it's just them and their friends which kind of yeah changes things a lot what I really like about when I've gone to Bergheim in Berlin is that they when you enter they put your phone in a locker so you have no phone the whole night so it really changes your experience mm. it makes you look like less self-conscious but it's it for me that experience was the closest that I felt going sort of going back in time to what those parties used to be more like. It was definitely a different thing, not having a phone on you. Yeah, because like now you go to a, a live gig or anything and there's thousands of people all holding up their phone. And so it's kind of like they're really, um, it's really changing their experience of it and they're like less present tense. I guess with me, when I had my camera, a lot of the photos you'll see are actually more in the daytime. There isn't that many that are at nighttime, you know, in the thick of the party, because I was probably just having too much fun and just not really thinking about it. It was probably one of the last things on my mind was trying to capture it. So I usually would be like going around with my camera in the morning when there was still like some people around and it was just that kind of morning light and atmosphere. And then a lot of the photos were also like the journeys in between the parties, you know, and the kind of the beginning and, you know, the aftermath or the build-up of the quieter moments, I think. They also add to the story and, and um, the wider culture. Yeah, the whole, the full picture of the, of the experience what was going on back to when you first started photographing spiral tribe 
you started out with disposable cameras, but you were disappointed with the results. Yeah. And then you moved on to a 35 mil compact camera. Do you think being there with a camera that isn't like a massive SLR made a difference to the way that you photographed what was going on and the way that you were kind of um, perceived by other members of your community? Yeah, actually, I'm sure that the, that would have some um, influence. Like the fact that the, those cameras were so light and you could just carry them around and just shove them in your pocket. And I was very much a, a sort of point and shoot photographer. You know, I never really wanted to like fiddle around with lighting. It was always just working with the natural light around me. Um, but I'm sure those cameras, yeah, they kind of seem less intimidating and more fun and, and people aren't really conscious of that lens pointing at them. It means that I guess everyone was very like unposed and quite natural. Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought about that, but yeah, actually that's, that's a good point. I think you can, you can probably see that in some of the, the portraits. Definitely. And also the fact that you're in quite a few of the pictures as well is nice because, you know, that sort of having those cameras that are smaller and maybe a little bit easier to use and easier to understand means that you, it's easy for you to give your camera to other people. Yeah, you're right. And everyone just go click. Yeah. Easy, like automatic mode. Mm. When I did photography as an elective and I was trying to like learn more about it, it was good to have that background. But I think the thing that always always put me off I didn't want to be standing there fiddling around for 10 minutes getting the light right getting the aperture right it was new you know I just if I had one of those kinds of camera I'm sure loads of moments would have been lost because you know by the time you've kind of got your camera set it's just like oh come on you know because there were such fleeting moments definitely did you have any challenges though photographically what with the subjects or with the like technical yeah like the subjects and the cameras that you use was there any sort of thing that sometimes made it hard for you to take pictures or there were certain things that you couldn't take pictures of or like you were talking about earlier a little bit there were things that you wish you'd captured and stuff yeah I guess it's just more um now feeling realizing how precious those moments were and were and how you know there was only a handful of people that were actually documenting it now I just wish that I'd kind of filled in some of the missing blanks you know with with those images but to be honest like a lot of the times when I was taking these photos, like, you know, during a summer of travel, I was in such a different kind of headspace. I wasn't really thinking about those kinds of things. It was very just flowing naturally. There was no conscious thought really going into that. I mean, sort of now how it's affected things is some of the photos, some of the film was like a bit damaged, you know, from when I was traveling, there was the one of the images, which is like heat, called heat stroke, where it's like a triple exposure and all the colors have like gone really kind of rainbow and exaggerated. There were moments like that where, you know, I probably wasn't looking after the film. It was kind of, yeah, in, in very hot environments. But actually now I think that kind of adds to it. I like all those images where there's kind of those accidental mistakes or whatever. I actually quite like, I quite enjoy those, those details. There was like a whole roll of film from this party in France, south of France, 1997, it got a bit damaged, like water damaged. And, you know, there was all these kind of weird bubbling, decaying textures on them. But again, I sort of worked with that and I actually kind of liked that effect because it gave it this sense of vintage, like decaying memory. So yeah, it didn't bother me. Those, those things don't bother me now. I, I love that too. I saw one of those images. I think there's a guy and yeah, it's all bubbly you can't quite see his head it reminds me and, and I guess the viewer in general of the physicality of the photo 
particularly analog and prints and things like that that you don't get with digital photography so much you know there are certainly a lot of photographers that experiment with that like consciously experiment with the physicality of the picture I've seen that you know like that sort of intentional thing in some ways like it might look like I did it intentionally but yeah it's all just it's just basically time and the elements kind of doing different things to the film yeah it's really nice you know your heat stroke pictures are brilliant because they do you just feel the environment in them you feel the kind of heat and the the fact that the the film was maybe playing up and being affected by the heat as you were yeah yeah so it kind of almost like makes you feel like you're physically connected to it somehow like the sensations of what it's like to be there yeah really nice are there any photographers that you maybe even subconsciously or artists were influenced by at the time when i was taking those photos Uh, there was no influence I've always kind of enjoyed looking at the world through like photographically you know just the way I walk around life all the time I'm just kind of even you know when I'm walking around on my phone I just see things as like photo stills you know everywhere I go so I guess it was just kind of um a natural spontaneous urges but I never really thought about oh yeah I really aspire to this photographer I'm trying to I really like my images to to kind of reference that or you know there, was, there wasn't really any of that at the time. You know, in, in present day, I appreciate the work of like, you know, Wolfgang Tillmans, you know, people like that, which have this sort of, um, they have a lot of feeling and emotion with, with the images, you know, even if they're just very simple details of textures or still lives, but it's got that sense of emotion. I love Wolfgang Tillmans as well. I like the way that he sort of goes in and out so he kind of focus on a very small detail and then out to pictures of humans and you know people and trees and things and clubs i wonder if there's a kind of almost like unifying or shared perspective that ravers have maybe it's like it's kind of like an unspoken thing yeah that's interesting i love the portraits of nan golding as well but again i've only really become more aware of her work in very recent years like people have they've sort of brought her to my attention going oh you're kind of some of your portraits remind me of like her photos and then I saw that at the Tate um like a year ago that there was a small show of her work and I was like okay wow this is like I guess it's her subject matters because a lot of the time there are these characters that are from very like underground worlds and subcultures and things like that but they've got quite a kind of gritty real feel to it as well. I really like the way that she sequences her work as well. So she she shows the ballad of sexual dependency as a, like one long sort of uh, slideshow, but she often plays around with the sequence and changes the sequence and kind of recontextualizes them. Which brings me to talking about your book again. You know, what was the book design and the book production process like for you? And how did you make decisions around the sequencing and things like that? Yeah, so there was a fairly fast turnover for a book I guess because I got the publisher in January and originally we were going to try and release it in May but then obviously Covid struck and so things got delayed but actually it kind of worked in our favour because it meant there was more time to work on the final design and layout so yeah I mean for me when I've seen other books on similar subjects I found that some of the images like there's so much going on especially with the scenes of like the interiors of the warehouse spaces or there's that one in Bright- near Brighton um, Raven Aquarium where it's just like this big expansive field with people and vehicles I felt like it was really important to not overload the imagery 
to kind of, I mean, some of them there are like full-bleed double-page spreads when they're uh, landscapes like that. So you can really feel like you, you're seeing the full scene of it and you feel like you're entering it. But with um, some of the layouts, I really felt like I wanted there to be space around to really kind of see the images and not have it too cluttered. There's definitely thought that's gone into like how the images appear next to each other. I mean, it's not in chronological order. The only thing that's in, that's chronological is the diary entries because I felt like that was really important to f- feel like you're going through time. It's a journey over a period of you know ten years of different events. But the images themselves jump around in time. But sometimes the images are chosen purely by by colours that that I felt like complemented each other. Sometimes it was mood. Sometimes there's like twinning of images. You know, like there's one which is um, head and legs, which is. Um, the one which is someone who's passed out behind the decks and their head is like, they've passed out in a really hilarious position and their head's like underneath this tarpauling. And in the other image, you see that their legs on the other side of the tarpauling. I like to occasionally have these kind of humorous moments mixed in. But yeah, so often it's colour, mood or activity. You know, there's a couple where it's like different picnic scenes, but there's probably quite a few years in between when the photos were taken. But it's just interesting to see those two sort of groupings of people which were moments like in between going from one party to the next and these just kind of these stop off by the road picnic moments. So yeah, so that's kind of how I kind of pulled it together. I mean, I was very lucky that I got some great designers involved. I admit I'm not very technical with like design. So between us, like we kind of figured out visually how it would make it look its best. Luke Powell and Kate Rogers, who did a great job with the layout of the flyers and also the bit, the beginning of the book with the intro. And there's a section which is all kind of like more like a black and white section at the beginning of the book, which was my introduction, the forward essay and some flyers. And it was like a really nice idea to kind of separate that from the rest of the book. And the cover poster idea was, was a nice kind of unusual uh, approach to how to present the final book as well. But I think that was fun. I know someone said to me they, they've uh, put it in a frame already. That's really nice. The designers were great at finding really kind of quite old school, quite 90s like typography as well, which um, just kind of brought it all together. I really love the juxtaposition of your diary entries with the pictures. And it's incredible because your writing is so visual on its own. I guess, I'm guessing it was a complete no-brainer that you would have the writing in there as well as the pictures. Yeah, I mean, um, so the first time any of this material was, was seen to the public was last year when I had this solo exhibition in Paris, um, Spiral Baby, um, at Gallery PCP. And the way it was exhibited is that I had a wall of printed out diary entries on old aged paper and then the photos were dotted around and then we had a whole vitrine case which was full of like ephemera and flyers. So that was kind of like, I already kind of almost had a lot of the material ready. I mean, there were moments where with the book, I was kind of nervous about having the diary entries in there because it's quite personal, you know? And I mean, I did tweak and edit here and there. There were bits that I took out that I wasn't happy to have in print and it had to be, um, what's the word? Censored a little bit. <laughs> um, but. But yeah, it was, at one point I was like, do I want to include diary entries? That's really personal and that's really like putting myself out there. And, you know, there's also there's people that were mentioned in the stories. Then I realised it was important because it really helped to paint the full picture of the experience. Like looking back now, 
I feel like something would have been missing without the diary entries. Well, I guess the, the viewer would be wondering more, kind of creating their own idea in their head of, of what the scenes were, but I think the diary entries help. And so often I try to put photos that relate to the diary entries next to them in the book as well. I've tried to kind of coincide that, which, um, yeah, it just helps to bring it all to life. And, yeah, and for me, it was really helpful as well for figuring out the dates and, and locations of some of these places. And I really needed that as a starting point because otherwise it would be impossible, you know, going back 20 years to like figure out where was that, what year was that, who was I with. So yeah, it was really useful. I wanted to throw them all away at one point. When you look back at, you know, yourself when you're young and it's a bit cringy and <laughs> moments when I was like, I just want to burn all of this. I don't want to remember these things. But I was very lucky that my mum actually was always encouraging. She's like, no, you must keep them. At some point you're going to use these. So it's all thanks to her. Nice one, mum. This was written on the 14th of September, 1999, Southern Eclipse Party. There's so much more to tell you about this trip. After the lake, the next destination was Hungary for the solar eclipse party. To begin with, surprise, surprise, we had problems at the Hungarian border. The French Tomahawk crew were at the border at the same time trying to get through. A few vehicles worth of us drove all night to get to the meeting point, Lake Balaton. Got to site at 6am. That day was boiling hot. It was a strange heat though, with the eclipse approaching. It felt like we were in science fiction land at the edge of the world. Can't explain it, but it felt like there was an energy building up. We reimbursed our suntans that day, then drove off in convoy towards the party destination. There was a cheesy pay-a-go-a trance eclipse party happening next door, so it was decided to set up in the field next to that. It was a bit marshy there, so I got stuck in the mud for a while. I felt so exhausted, so slept the first night. I woke up the next morning feeling fresh and energized. Everyone else had been up all night. They looked hanging, covered in mud. I decided to get pissed. The eclipse was due to happen at 12.45, so I had time. As the special moment approached, we all stood around clutching our protective glasses. Then we watched in amazement as the moon passed over the sun. The sky went from a full sunny day to darkness in seconds. I could hear the birds and insects and all natural sounds intensify. And then there was a few minutes of darkness. Not exactly the same as nighttime. It was an eerie light. People fire breathed around us. Champagne was popped and we all hugged each other like it was New Year's Eve. I guess it just felt amazing to be alive and to witness such a beautiful natural phenomenon. I can honestly say it was one of the most surreal moments I've ever experienced.
diary entries, they do give us so much information. So you've got a lot in there about the battle between Spiral Tribe and other kind of traveling communities with the authorities at that time, largely in the light of the criminal justice bill. Yeah. That element of people coming together and dancing is so often seen as just a completely frivolous thing and, you know, just hedonistic. And I'm sure there is hedonism in there. That comes out in your diary entries too. But, you know, it's really important that those experiences of the police and the authorities at that time are talked about and told. So, yeah, I was just wondering how you feel about attitudes towards electronic music and sound systems and raves and travelling communities today. I mean, for a while, I think people that didn't understand that way of life were very much probably like, oh, yeah, these people are just like, copping out of society and you know they don't want to pay their taxes and you know they don't want to play by the books and you know have like have a mortgage like nine to five job there was probably almost a sense of resentment towards people living that lifestyle like because secretly they probably wanted to be doing that themselves but they didn't have the guts or just you know Mm. didn't follow that but I think um in terms of the traveling communities, I think, yeah, there was a lot of probably negativity in media and stuff towards people living those kind of lifestyles. Nowadays, I think probably at the moment, more and more people are probably looking for an alternative, you know, seeking an alternative way of life, especially with all the crazy stuff that's been going on in 2020. And like in this country, you know, people probably being fed up and with Brexit hanging over us and thinking about alternative ways of living as well that maybe don't involve the obvious and, you know, maybe actually more thinking about more positive ways to live in nature or, or, you know, respecting the environment in a different way. So I don't know. I mean, until like this past year when I've had these shows and this book released, I lost touch with a lot of people from that world and it wasn't really part of my life anymore. So I'm not sort of one to really know what people's response is now with all of this. But I think there's definitely like parallels with today with that period of time, you know, with clubs and venues closing down and the general distrust of our government. So I feel like it feels like there is almost a sort of parallel with that period of time when rave culture was was kind of bubbling up in this country. And there was a real sense back then, you know, everyone I knew was very like politically engaged. There was protests, you know, all the time regularly we were attending, you know, the criminal justice bill, or there was like lots of events like Reclaim the Streets. It was very like normal to be attending protests. And then it felt like for a long time, especially like the younger generations weren't so interested by that. They've, there was kind of this sort of feeling of, of apathy and they were just more interested in, you know, like social media and like wanting kind of fast fame for not really doing anything. And, you know, having the right trainers and materialism is a natural cycle. And it feels like now people are more kind of connecting to my sort of era of youth. Groups like Extinction Rebellion has grown in popularity. And obviously recently with all the BLM protests. And so I think it's like become really normal for young people now to go to protests and to care about these things. But there was definitely a decline for a while. Your book does feel weirdly, really timely because of those things and because of the climate that we're in now. And, you know, the fact that Spiral Tribe was very much about travelling through Europe freely and easily, but largely. I know that there sometimes you were stopped and there were problems at different borders. Yeah. 
but we're essentially at a point where we're having that freedom and ease erased or eroded you know because of brexit and the kind of freedom of movement is sort of off the table one thing that i'm so grateful for when looking back at that period in my life is just that freedom we had just to travel across europe you know going through border after border and um a lot of that's going to be lost soon which is which is really sad it is does your experience with spiral tribe and your pictures of spiral tribe influence and relate to your collage work your amazing collage work yeah it's interesting i think when people sort of know me from my collages and now they're kind of you know hearing about my sort of kind of archive coming out i think people can kind of see the connection you know they kind of complement each other and you can kind of see that that's maybe my background there's a sense of psychedelic influences in the work and kind of relating to kind of um outsider counterculture you know, I mean, I guess a lot of my influences subconsciously when I was growing up, I, I lived in, in upstate New York and Woodstock, the famous hippie town. So I think there was a lot of um, essence of that in the town. And I think that probably rubbed off on me. I was obsessed with looking at my father's books, which were always kind of 60s visionary art and weird sci-fi landscapes. So I think that combined with maybe also some of the flies that you would get in the 90s, you know, which had these quite weird sort of sci-fi kind of overtones. Mm. With like the sort of underground free party techno scene, there was a lot of robots and futuristic tech kind of circuit board and, and all those kind of references, which I guess some of my collages are quite like science fiction, otherworldly. So I guess you can kind of connect the dots there a little bit. Definitely. They're very dreamy. I've been looking at them a lot. They're really cool. Thank you. I think, yeah, it's nice that they're both kind of sides to my work. You know, they're quite different mediums. At the moment, they feel like they're kind of marrying up together in a nice way. My collage work, I, I use old found photographic imagery from old books and magazines. So there's, I guess there's still like a kind of connection to photography somehow in there. Yeah. Again, like the object nature of photography as well, because you're using actual material photos that are printed on paper yeah exactly tactile not i have no digital skills like everything's hand done it's all hand cut with a scissors and it's all scissors and glue i wouldn't have a clue how to to create any of that by photoshop i guess i'm very like yeah tactile i like the physicality of the materials the film or the you know the actual paper collage pieces i love that as well because it seems like i know that spiral tribe was very much about arts in general as well as music and sound system and I see in a lot of your pictures there's people with sketchbooks open and Mm. there's funny little sculptures and stuff like that so yeah it's almost like your approach to collage and your love of real things and that really DIY approach is maybe sort of like a positive residue of Mm. Spiral Tribe in the way that they just made things happen and used what was around them a resource approach. Yeah there was a lot of creative people connected to that scene and they used to do a lot of parties with um, mutoid waste who would create these giant mobile like statues and sculptures at parties that would like breathe fire and like move around. And there was definitely a very creative world, you know, and also creating all the backdrops and trying to set a scene and create a nice environment for a party. So the two went together. Great. So you say that your photos and collage fit together really nicely and I you know I see that too one doesn't stand out on your website for example as not fitting yeah 
but the photos were taken 20 years ago and that was part of your life that was a long time ago mm. and do you feel in some ways that making the book that you'll almost be able to kind of physically close the chapter on it and be able to focus more on your present day work yeah I mean maybe I mean there was um there's definitely a very like healing process that went on yeah there's a period of my life that was very much buried for like 15 years and because of how I removed myself from the scene and how it, it just ended on a bit of a down note, the book, which was also dedicated to my friend that I lost, has felt like a very healing process. So I don't know. I mean, I thought more and more that I may include more of my contemporary photographic work in with my collages. You know, there's different things that could be, could be done with that that I can open up. You know, the photography as a medium isn't completely done but I mean I'm never going to be able to recreate those photos from 20 years ago I was in a different mindset you know those people that the world that was around me that can never be repeated so I don't know I don't know we'll see we'll see what happens I would still like to have an exhibition in the UK of the same material that I had at the show in Paris because there's an audience here that would really enjoy seeing that the show in Saatchi it was a massive group exhibition and I had a, they gave me a whole central room and, you know, they blew up some of my photos really large scale. But it was just such a, a small selection of, of the archive that I have. So it'd be really nice to have the opportunity to show more of that in this country. So maybe once that's happened, maybe I'll feel like the, the chapter is closed. I'm not sure. We'll have to see. I mean, you might not want it to close. I guess I'm asking that somewhat selfishly because that's something that I feel that I need to do with my own archive is put it in one place, mm-hmm. close the chapter and then move on from it in a positive way, you know. I mean, I don't know. It's like in some ways it's like a chapter closed and in some ways it feels like a chapter open, especially with the fact that it's been a bit of a... I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't able to have a physical book launch because of COVID. So it almost felt like I had to do that virtually, like online by people contacting me, you know, communicating with people I haven't spoken to in 15 years. So it's kind of been like a bit of a reunion as well. So in some ways it feels like after close, but also a new one open. So um, it's hard to know really how, how it might progress. Yeah, I guess nothing is linear, really. We'll see how what happens in the next um, the next year or so. On a fun note, what music do you listen to now, or like what music do you listen to when you're when you're working on your collages and stuff? I'm kind of quite open to a variety of music. I think really at heart, I've always been a bit of a soul girl. I just remembered this like the other day that even when I was doing some of those journeys in my book and I was driving across Europe and going to all these raves, I remember I just bought the Lauren Hill Miss Education album. It's funny how money changes situation. Miscommunication leads to complication. My emancipation don't put your equation. I was on the humble you on every station. Someone play young Lauren like she done. But remember not to game the one of the sun. Everything you did has already been done. I know all the tricks from bricks to kingstown. My ting done major king done one wrong. Now understand El Boogie, not violent. But different things test me, run to me, can Can't take a threat to me, no this way since creation a groupie call you far from temptation now you want ball over separation tarnish my image in the conversation who you gonna scrimmage like you the champion
strange it was that that's what I was listening to and I was in that world of these raves so I think like old soul and Motown and things like that but then I like to listen to a lot of like random like NTS like playlists and stuff you know when I'm working I like to have that in the background sometimes you'll get quite a lot of quite unusual music you know different genres like different kind of crossover genres as well so yeah kind of um quite open I guess a bit more open-minded with music now you know, sometimes I'll probably want to listen to like very quiet, ambient or like jazz music in the background, something that's kind of non-intrusive, you know, just like background sound. But I used to work, before I had my studio, I sometimes just be working at home with the TV on in the background, literally spread out on the floor making pieces. And sometimes I'd find that there might be a weird film on in the background, like Clash of the Titans or something. And then I'd be finding myself making pieces that were kind of like, intertwining into what was on the screen <laughs> subconsciously it would be going into my brain and influencing me i'd like to see those ones what would you like your work and specifically your book to teach or show people about life and music and art and uh, the connection between those things i guess i'd like people to viewers of, of the book to feel just a real sense of that feeling of freedom. And I guess it has got a sense of nostalgia for a period of time as well. But I'd like for them to really feel like they are experiencing what it was like to be emerged in that world. And you know, rather than from perspective of an outsider, it's kind of more like almost like a fly on the wall of what it was like to be there, you know, the reality of it. And also just the fact that I guess it was living very, very simple, minimalist life in a way. Those moments of being on the road where you kind of realise that you don't really need things, you don't need all your material objects around you. It was like I'd have a small bag, a few things for the whole summer, and a sleeping bag, and didn't even have a mirror, to be honest. Like, half the time I didn't even know what I looked like, which was actually gave a real sense of freedom and losing that sense of being overly self-conscious that I think we have in, in current life. But most of us in our homes, we have mirrors and get attached to objects and material things. The book kind of helps to show that you, you don't necessarily need those things. It's like just living a more simple lifestyle. That's brilliant. Cool. Thanks, Shauna. I really appreciate your time and I really appreciate your art and I really appreciate you. You're brilliant. So, so much. thank you. Great chatting to you. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Shauna Gavin for her vision of sound. Thanks also to Francis Redmond for the soundtrack and Ian Phillips for the recording. If you enjoyed
enjoyed this show, please subscribe or leave a review on iTunes. This will really help other people to find Vision of Sound and hear from the talented artists we talk to. Visit georginacook.net forward slash vision of sound or at the vision of sound on Instagram for images to accompany this and other episodes.